that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him. Intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Do you love your pastor that much? And uh, I'm gonna loosen up here because I got a feeling in a minute we're gonna get started. And we're going to talk about the Lord a while. Amen. How many is glad that you live in Kansas? I am glad that I am a Kansan. Amen. I am so glad God delivered me from Louisiana. And that I am a full-fledged Jayhawker. Amen. And prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to preach tonight on the subject of prevailing prayer. I will confess ahead of time tonight that I preached this Monday night. I taught it Monday night. I went to Anthony to preach last night, and I, I'm sorry, Tuesday night, and I preached it at Anthony. And uh, Brother Wilkes, the pastor at Anthony, preached for us last night. And had he not preached, I would have preached this again last night to our church. And uh, I'm here in Hutchison tonight, and I'm going to preach it here. And if I have opportunity Sunday, I intend right now to preach it again Sunday morning and possibly again Sunday night. And if the Lord lets me, I may preach it again next week. How many here has ever sung a song? Let me see your hand. How many here has sung a song more than one time? How many here has ever sung off a lie away? Let me see your hand. How many here has sung that song more than one time? Well, if you can sing, I fly away more than one time. Bless God, if the Lord gives me a good message, I can preach it more than one time. And in case if you're wondering if this is the only sermon I got, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I have preached something like 1,500 sermons in the last seven years. So I got plenty of sermons to preach, but somehow I believe that God has dealt with me about what I'm going to preach here in Hutchison tonight. First of all, let me start with this fact. I know that the church in Hutchison prays. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. (laughs) 
So I am not preaching to a church tonight that is a stranger to prayer. I have been here many times and sometimes I have been here early and I have gone into y'all's prayer rooms and I have prayed beside you. And I know the prayers that come out of the prayer rooms of this church. I also wanna talk about something tonight that there are more than one type and one kind of prayer or praying. And I'm gonna present a side of prayer tonight that maybe you have heard before or maybe you've not, but I would ask you to give me your attention and to consider what I'm gonna talk about tonight as I get started. First of all, prayer is more than as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I know people that never even think about praying until they put their pajamas on and then they remember they haven't prayed all day. And so they rush into their children's room and they kneel down beside their bed and say, okay, Junior, pray now. As I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take in Jesus' name, amen. And before they get to their bed, they've already forgotten the prayer and they're ready to call it a day. And then there are those in the denominal world that their longest prayer is the prayer that they say over their food. I've been in banquets and I've been in ministerial conferences with denominal uh, preachers and people and uh, they make a great pretense of praying over the food and in the midst of their praying, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our food and Father, forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And uh, to them, that prayer is all that they need to pray in a day's time. And then you get to the more conservative people like the Pentecostal apostolics. And we've got our rituals in prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. We've got that certain expression that when we want to get on of God, we know how to strain every muscle in our face. And uh, I'm telling you that if a photographer ever comes to our churches and sits on our prayer room or, or on our platform or sneaks into our prayer room and takes some of our pictures, he is going to win the most valuable prize anybody's ever won with some of the contortions that we go through when we pray. I do it and you do it. Don't tell me you don't. Amen. When I get to agonizing in prayer, I can't be still. I walk from wall to wall and from front to back. And I'm allowed to be on my knees one time and on my back the next and on my belly the next. And brother, I know how to go down low and come up high and I get to agonizing before God. You know what I'm talking about. Amen, I'm, I'm no stranger to a prayer room and you're no stranger to a prayer room. And uh, we have different degrees of prayer. 
If we are mad at somebody and we always like to pray beside the one that we're mad at and we know how to preach sermons while we're praying and our prayers are not aimed up but they're aimed out the side. Bless God. I pray, oh Lord, that you would teach us, oh God, how to repent when we do our neighbor wrong. And you're the one that's the neighbor and the one standing beside you is the one you're trying to get the message across to. And we know how to pray prayers that are not aimed at God at all, but they're aimed at maybe somebody that we are praying around. I never will forget one time years ago there was a woman stood up and was going to testify in a, a Pentecostal holy rolling meeting and there was a preacher there preaching on the coming of the Lord and the time was near and judgment was coming and, uh, and so one night they had a testimony service and she stood up and she was going to kind of prophesy a little bit. And uh, she was really wanting to get a message across to the church more than just prophesy. And she said, yea, thus saith the Lord. We are living in fearful times. Yea, wars on every hand. And yea, the earth is filled with violence. And yea, fear is in the land. And yea, even I, the Lord thy God, am fearful at times. <laughs> And sometimes our prayers are to more impress others than they are to impress God. Come on, Hutchison. Amen. I've been in meetings before in which the people would say, we want Brother Deacon so-and-so to stand up in prayer. And I have seen them and heard them preach sermons to folks they didn't like in the midst of their praying. And they used the advantage of public praying in order to rebuke or to chastise someone that they was praying in front of. And But when you get to the Pentecostals, there's something about the way we pray is a little bit different than everybody else. There's something about the energy that goes forth from Pentecostal people. They've got to walk or they've got to kneel or they've got to agonize or they've got to weep or whatever. And even among us, there are degrees of praying. Maybe we go to a prayer room and we don't feel anything and we just get to talking to God. And we just start telling God it's been a long day out there in the world. And Lord, we've rubbed shoulders out there with sin. And we've rubbed shoulders with foul mouths. And we've rubbed shoulders with the blasphemers of this world. And Lord, right now I'm not in too good a spiritual shape. But I thought I'd stop by this afternoon, God, and just talk to you a while. And, and after a while you realize that you're emptying out your heart before God. And, and there's that emptying out phase of, of just talking to God. Lord, it's been a rough day out there in the world. And, and God, I'm not doing good right now. But if you'll come down and have mercy, Lord, I'll be able to do what you want me to do. And, and there's that phase of, of emptying out our soul before God. And after we get our soul emptied out, then we, got, we get to feeling something. And we get to praising God. And our prayers start turning into hallelujahs. And, and praise God's and glory to God's. And thank you, Jesus. And we get to feeling something. 
something and, and then all of a sudden we feel a little selfish and, and so we turn our eyes off of ourselves and we get to praying for others and maybe there's a weeping that comes forth and, and maybe after a while after the weeping gets to flowing and maybe our voices can't speak English anymore and we'll get to praying in tongues and after a while even praying in tongues is not enough maybe we're praying in the Hebrew language or the Greek language or maybe the Latin language or one of the 10,000 languages in the world and I believe that speaking in tongues is exactly what it is it's a speaking in a tongue that God can understand somewhere but after a while, our soul is overcome. And we realize that, that there's something pouring out of us. And there's not a language in the world that's got the words and the vocabulary in order to express to God the very resources of our soul. And the Bible said that there's groanings which cannot be uttered. There's not a language in the world that can express the intercessory prayer of the very soul of man unto God. And we need in this hour to learn how to pray in the Holy Ghost. And we need to learn how to pray in the Spirit. And we need to learn how to agonize before God in this time. Oh, I'm going to tell you, friend, that God answers prayer. Can you say amen? I said God answers prayer. I said God answers prayer. I said God answers prayer. And I want to tell you in this hour that God is even more tuned in to the prayers of his people. Amen. When I read this chapter, and let me get to my verses here for a minute, because I feel like that God's going to take over here in just a few minutes of time. James was killed by Herod with a sword, the brother of John. And they reached out to take Simon Peter. And while they was getting ready to execute him, there was a time that the Jews had to back off because of the days of unleavened bread. And so the Jews were the ones that were warning the head of Simon Peter, not necessarily the Romans. And so they had to back off from executing him because the Jews would not allow him to be killed during the days of the unleavened bread. Oh, sometimes it's just chance that comes our way that saves our hide. Because if the days of unleavened bread had not come, they would have immediately have killed him the way they did James. But all of a sudden there's an interference and the church realized, hey, wait a minute, folks. Let's don't give up yet. I know that Simon should have already been dead, but some reason or another, the days of unleavened bread are upon us and let's go to the church and let's pray he was saying it looks like he's going to die everything points to his death but he said hey God has given us some time and while we've got time on our hand let's see what God will do and so they went to the house of God and the Bible said prayer was made without ceasing unto the church for him if there was ever a time that we need to learn to pray until there is no more hope I want to tell you no matter what the situation is don't give up until the person is dead and gone and buried Amen. Hallelujah 
as I may lay, as I lay me down to sleep prayers is not going to get the job done and God is good God is great let us take him for this food it's not going to get the prayer or the job done but there comes a time when there's going to be weeping and strong crying but more than anything else we are going to have to learn to pray specific prayers for specific situations can you say amen? amen Hebrews chapter 1 says something like this referring to the angels of God he said are they not all ministering spirits and Hebrews 1 and verse 14 sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation in that prayer room somewhere there was somebody out of that multitude that got a hold of God and got the attention of God amen I've often contended that real prayers are very short. I do not believe that a prayer lasts for an hour or an hour and a half or two hours or three hours or four hours or six hours or ten hours or all day. Sometimes it takes us an hour to pray and sometimes it takes us two hours to pray. But the truth of the matter is it takes us sometimes a long time to get to the place where God hears us. I'm going to tell you we got to bring our mind into captivity. We've got to bring our thoughts into captivity. Come on, Hutchison. You know what I'm talking about tonight. Amen. Now, I want you to relax on me. I'm not going to preach anything that Brother Elder would not preach in this pulpit or what he would not preach in my pulpit. But I got a feeling that we need something here from God tonight. And I'm thankful that Brother Elder asked me to come. Amen. I have prayed sometimes two hours. And all of a sudden, the presence of God would come down. And I would pray that one short prayer that I really wanted to pray from the very beginning. And I might have had to be in the prayer room two hours in order to pray five minutes. I may have had to agonize for two hours against the spirits of the world, against the spirits in the atmosphere, against my flesh, against my job, against my friends before I could come to that place that I could pray one five minute prayer that was going to be answered. If you don't understand sometime, you've got to battle forces before you ever get to the place that you can pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so we learn how to agonize in the prayer room. And we learn how to intercede in the prayer room. I can remember times, sister, when I would go to the prayer room with a burden in my heart. And I remember when I evangelized, especially, I can remember the first couple of years when I was in Wichita, when it seemed like I was having to fight every devil that's ever been belched out of hell. I can remember going to churches that had never had revival. I can remember going to places where if they had one to pray through in a 10-week revival, they thought they'd had an overflowing revival. And I'm not taking away the day of small things but go there and realize that the devil had grips on cities and that the devil sometimes have grips on churches and sometimes the devil has grips on saints and sometimes he has grips on preachers and they don't even realize that they're locked into their shell and that they're in inner prisons and that their feet are fast in stocks and their hands are in handcuffs and that there's four quaternions of soldiers around them. There's been times, my friend, when I could not pray. There's been times 
time when I could not touch God and I realized that I was encircled by the forces of hell and I felt like I was in the prison where Simon Peter was but somewhere somebody was praying for me and somebody touched God when I could not touch him for myself I feel the virtue of the Holy Ghost. I'm preaching somewhere here tonight. I'm telling you, there's been times as a pastor, Brother Character, when I could not get in the pulpit and preach because there was devils on every side and there was on top of me and underneath me and everywhere and they was trying to block the move of God. And I looked out across the congregation and I'd see some lady bow her head between the pews and you could hear the groanings between the seats and I realized when I was not capable of praying for myself I want to tell you Simon Peter could not deliver himself from that prison the Bible said he went to sleep he was fatigued and he was tired and there's time when your preacher is so tired he doesn't feel like preaching and he doesn't feel like praying because he's wrestled with the prince of Hutchinson for hours at a time and I wonder when your preachers are struggling I'm preaching to you Hutchison and I'll preach this in every church I go into because I'm tired of our preachers struggling in the pulpit and in the prison that Satan has built for them and the saints is out in the house of God you're just sitting out there not realizing that the church of the living God needs to pray without ceasing unto God until that preacher is loosened and is set free by the power of God. Anybody getting a message? I'm gonna confess it for myself. This past Sunday morning, we've had an awesome move of God this summer. I've never seen anything like it for the summertime. Usually we're supposed to be going downhill Sunday night, I walked into our church and it just blowed me away. The choir had to stay on the platform. The ushers came and said, there's no more seats on the bottom floor. I said, well, I guess we'll have to open the balcony. And by the time church got started, there were 35 or 40 more in the balcony. And this is July, and it's vacation time, and we're not supposed to be having revival. And I got to thinking, why are we having revival? And I was reminded of our Sunday morning service. I came to the sacred desk burden. I came because there were saints that needed something from God. And I had been wrestling with the prince of Persia. I'd been wrestling with the devils of hell. I'd been wrestling with the, with the spirits of our world. And I walked to the pulpit and I will confess to you I, I, I went to New York to preach a camp meeting. I packed at 1 a.m. on Sunday or Monday morning before I left because of the length of the week that I had been working and the number of hours and at 1 a.m. I finally got home my wife said you got to go to New York tomorrow and I said I know it and you got to be gone eight days and you haven't even opened your suitcase yet and so at 1 a.m. we went to my wife had to go wash and iron shirts and we had to get the suitcase packed and, and get all the things together and I got on the plane at seven o'clock Monday morning and landed in New York and went straight to the services and started preaching and preached Tuesday and twice and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and then I had to drive 360 miles and then I had to preach three times on Sunday and got back on the plane Monday morning 
and, and, and came, flew for nine and a half hours, got back into Wichita, had a wedding, went and taught pastor's class, and then Tuesday had two funerals back to back, and then Wednesday had new counseling with those that had died or the families of those that had died, and Thursday the day was long and had Bible study that evening, and then Friday was the same way, and then Saturday, and I thought, God, I don't want to go to church Sunday. I was so fatigued, I couldn't even stand up. Friday night, my wife and I had answered the phone probably 35 or 40 times, back to back to back to back. We had our supper cold. We had no place to eat because the phone kept ringing. And I said, get in the car. And so we got in the car and we drove out in the country and found us a motel and told them, said, don't, I don't care who calls, don't answer the phone for us, don't ring our room, we're tired. And then we were both sick half the night and came back and worked all day Saturday. And I said, I don't want to even get in the pulpit Sunday, but my heart was burdened for the people of God. And I got to the pulpit and started preaching and I realized that the devil knew I was tired and the devil knew I was fatigued and the devil knew I couldn't go any further and I thought Lord I don't want to have to struggle with the devils this morning but I got to struggling against the prince I got to struggling against the devils that thought I was weak I got to struggling and I was locked up in a prison and I couldn't break through but after a while on the back rows I saw some folks begin to pray I saw some begin to pray in the middle of the church and I was tired and I wanted to quit but I wasn't about to let the devil defeat me but after a while somebody prayed a prayer and the church church began to intercede and suddenly the chains fell off of my soul and the fatigue began to leave and God began to bless. What am I saying? Are you killing your preacher? Are you letting him preach from the prison? Are you praying unto God by the church for him? I ain't through yet. I ain't broke through some of you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm preaching to some of you. You're making your preacher labor when he ought not to be laboring. You're making your preacher struggle when he ought not to be struggling. I want to tell you, this business of soul winning is more than just for the preacher. It's got to be in the pew. It's got to be in the pulpit. It's got to be in the home. It's got to be in the prayer room. I'm going to step out on a dangerous limb. Brother L ain't here. If he don't like it, he can crack it when he gets home. Hallelujah. Let me ask you a question. Oh, I feel guilty parties. I better get back in the pulpit. I better ask it from a long way off. Are you ready? Amen. Can I preach to you? If I can preach straight to you, raise your right hand. All right? If you know I'm going to do it anyway, raise your left one. I am. Your other left hand, sister. Hallelujah. Preachers got to preach on Sunday. How many of you call him Sunday afternoon before church and spill all the garbage out on him that you can spill? and expect him to come up the pulpit and preach something fresh from God. How many of you call him just about the time he gets to church and say, I gotta talk to you before church tonight and you keep him out of the prayer room. I, I got here a few months ago where I did not even wanna go to my office before church 
at night. I didn't want to go to the prayer room because I knew that when I opened the door, there's going to be people waiting for me. They didn't care if the congregation needed to be fed. All they was interested in was dumping their Monday garbage. They wanted to dump their Tuesday garbage. They wanted to dump their Thursday garbage. Amen. And finally, I got the place where I said, no more counseling before church. I'm sorry. I've got an obligation to everybody in that church. And there's some folks that need to be fed. They've rubbed shoulders with the world. Hey, folks, why don't you leave your preacher alone on Sunday? If you got problems, you probably had them for a month already. And why dump them out on him just before he goes to the pulpit? Why don't you quit being selfish and let the man of God get in the pulpit and preach a fresh sermon from the voice of God? Amen. That's just the way it is. That won't cost you anything tonight. I just tell you, it's time for our men of God to be able to get in the pulpit on Thursday night or on Sunday morning or Sunday night without garbage in his mind so they can preach the word of God to you. Amen. But there's more to it than the weeping. So I said, amen. amen. I love to weep. But I'm preaching about not prayer, but the character. I'm preaching about prevailing prayer. Amen. Prevailing amen. prayer. Can you say amen? amen? Now, before I go any further, go to Acts chapter 16 with me. And let's see if I can give you a hint before I get where I'm going. Verse 22 of Acts 16. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them in the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, I want you to notice something about verse 25 that you have heard preached in Pentecost all of your life. And so one more time won't hurt you. At midnight, Paul and Silas done what? Pray. Now, listen to me now. At midnight, they what? Pray. Hallelujah. You got a revelation now, brother did not say that they prayed. It said they prayed and sang praises unto God. Amen. Have you ever stopped to think why they sang praises unto God? Because they couldn't clap their hands. They couldn't leap for joy. The only thing that was free was their tongue. They didn't just pray. Now, I believe they prayed. And when you first read it, it looks like they prayed and sang at the same time. And that is exactly what they done. If you read the text... If you do some studying from the original Greek language, 
I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not going to pretend to be. And so I'm not going to try to convince you with all of my Greek tonight. But what they literally done was they sang their prayers unto God. Now, in Pentecostal ranks, in other ranks of religion, there is a distinct difference between prayer and worship and praise. Usually, we have prayer before church. And maybe we might have a prayer over the offering. Or maybe we might have prayer for the sick. And then we have song service. I was preaching the other night and I made this statement. If I had to choose between a church that prayed and a church that praised, I would choose the praising church. Now, first of all, I don't believe that it's an either-or situation. I believe that you can pray and praise. But if I had to choose a church that only prayed and that came in the house of God and they were quiet, or if I had to choose a church that did not pray in the prayer rooms, but when they got in the pews would praise God, if I had to make that choice, I will take the praising church. I want you to know and understand that they sang and prayed at midnight. And the Bible said an earthquake came. And you know the story of the Philippian jailer. And sometimes we do not realize that there is more to prayer than beside our bed. And that there's more to prayer than in a prayer room. And that there's more to prayer than beside a kitchen table. I want you to understand that praise is a form of prayer that the church does not understand. Somehow we think that when we go to the prayer room, we've got to weep and squall and cry. And it's all going to happen in the prayer room. But friend, I have found in the Pentecostal ranks that there are churches that pray and they weep before God, but they're not having revival because they're not praisers when they get in the pews. Come on. Amen. And I have been to churches that I thought was carnal as cucumbers. But yet I couldn't get them in the prayer room. But when they would get in the pews, they would praise God. And they would praise God. And sometimes church would not be out until 1030 or 11 o'clock. And the altar would fill up. And suddenly it dawned on me that they have discovered a form of prayer that we don't understand anything about. It's not a prayer service and then a song service. No, sir, friend, when you come in the house of God and you start praising him and you're singing unto God, you are doing a form of prayer. All right, I've got some of you cross-eyed now. I want to prove it to you. 
I want to prove to you that praise and singing unto God like we was doing a while ago is a form of intercessory prayer. It's a form of prayer that's higher than anything that we really realize. And the problem is that we're singing with our eyes open. And we're trying to sing memorized words. And we're going through a ritual and a routine. That's not prayer and that's not praise. It's learning how to do something. It's like the old fellow that I used to know that when he was a kid, he spoke in tongues one time and it happened to be taped and uh, it was just Ibabahashata and that's all, all he ever knew. Every time he ever spoke in tongues, it was the same Ibabahashata and what he had done, he had learned how to repeat the words the first time he talked in tongues and so when everybody else was talking in tongues, he had a little phrase memorized, Ibabahashata. Was he talking in tongues? No, sir, he wasn't. It was just a fleshly manifestation of a memorized sentence and something he'd said before and sometimes that's the way our song services are. We have memorized the words of our flyway and we have memorized the words on page 86 and we memorized the words on page 2. That's why the Father said, sing unto the Lord a new song. He doesn't want you to memorize it. He wants you to praise it. He wants you to sing it from the depths of your innermost being. Come on, Hutchison. Where are you tonight? I'm trying to put a revelation in your heart. I'm going to tell you, those that never praise God, you're going to be open up one day and realize that you lost something from God. Turn to Psalms 149, if you please. Can I get the message across? I looked at them that all you can say is Ibabahashata. Some of you got the same little Elimo, Elimo, Elimo. And you got it memorized. And I want to tell you something. It's just as dangerous to memorize a phrase in tongues and only use that one phrase. I'm telling you what, you need a fresh experience with God. You need a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost. You need a renewing in the Holy Ghost. You need a new phrase in tongues. You need a new speaking in tongues. You need a new baptism of tongues. Come on now. I've heard the same old tongue for some people until I'm sick of it. They've got a phrase memorized. And sometimes we come to the house of God and we've got the same song and we got it memorized. I see some of you tonight singing and your heart wasn't in it. You've got the song memorized, but your heart wasn't in the song. I'm going to tell you, friend, you're missing out on the greatest experience in prayer that you could ever have. Amen. Amen. You know why I believe they ought to be singing in the church? It's because we've been out in the prayer room and we have wept before God and we have prayed before God. But sometimes the prayers in the prayer rooms are not the ones that prevail. Whenever Israel was marching around the walls of Jericho, I want you to know that they marched and they prayed. They marched and they prayed. But their prayer did not 
prevail until the ram horns began to blow and the sheep horns began to blow and they shouted with the voice of triumphant and then the walls fell down. I'm not here advocating you to shout tonight. I don't care whether you shout tonight or not. It doesn't bother me if you don't run the aisle. But I'm telling you, if we could ever understand that when we come out of the prayer room, if you want your prayer to prevail, you can't just sit on a pew. You've got to get up and you've got to sound the ram horns. You've got to play on the piano. You've got to sound the organ. You've got to play the tambourine. And you've got to sing unto God. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Now do you see why I preached this Tuesday night? I preached it Monday night. I gotta preach it again somewhere else. I'm gonna preach it until I get delivered from this sermon. Amen. We are missing something. There are many folks that are praying, but their prayers are not prevailing. Amen. The Bible said faith without works is dead being alone. And just like faith without works is dead, so is prayer without praise. I'm telling you, you can pray till you're blue in the face, but there is a spirit of prevailing prayer. It after you prayed in tongues. It's after you prayed in the groans. It's after you prayed with tears that you come out of the prayer room and you wipe the tears out of your eyes. Oh, the scripture says, weep in May, endure for the night. But joy, joy, joy cometh in the morning. The Bible said, he that goeth forth and weeping bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The prevailing prayer is when we put prayer and then we bring our she's with us. Hutchison, I love you. God knows that I love this church. There's not a man in Kansas that I love more than Carl Helder. I wish he was here tonight. I wish he could be here in this service. But thank God you give him an opportunity to rest and to relax a while. He's been through camp meeting and the summer's been hot and your preacher needs some rest. But listen, do you want your prayers to prevail about revival? It's when you go in the prayer room and you've agonized and you've interceded. Don't come out on the pew and act like you've lost your first cousin and don't act like you lost your long lost child. But come out of the prayer room and put some praise and some rejoicing and God will let your prayer prevail. My God, my God, my God. I was teaching, I don't know why God does this to me, but he does. I've often said, God, why don't you give me some easy cases? Why can't you give me some folks that's just normal and they just repent normal and they just get the Holy Ghost normal and they just line up normal? No, he don't do that. What does he do? He gives me alcoholic truck drivers. Amen. I never will forget the Lord sent a couple to us and they own a jewelry store. Now that's some kind of folks try to win the God, folks win jewelry. Uh, the, the, the day she got the Holy Ghost, she must have had $25,000 worth of jewelry on. 
She looked like Cleopatra and Jezebel all at the same time. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Merle Norman would have loved to have had her for advertising. Or Mary Kay. In fact, she must have had half interest in Mary Kay. And uh, she had all that makeup and jewelry on. And she was dying of chronic pancreatitis. And she w drove by our building when there was no sign up. And we was just hanging the red iron. And it was on her way to the doctor. And she pulled up the red light at Hydraulic and MacArthur. And looked over at that building and there was no sign. There was, there was no way to even have any idea it was a church. And uh, the Lord spoke to her. Now if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through a Jezebel. He said, you're going to be healed right there. She told her husband. He kind of laughed. It came by there the next week on the way to the doctor. Stopped at that same red light. That same boy said, you're going to be healed right there. Days went by. And one day I finally got up $249 and put up a temporary sign. Future home, a first United Pentecostal church. And they drove by there. And they thought it was going to be a hospital. They thought it was going to be a doctor's clinic. And lo and behold, they stopped at that red light and looked, and there was that sign, Future Home of First United Pentecostal Church. And they were Sunday school teachers in a certain church. And I'll be. They turned and looked at that sign, and it got quiet in the car. When the building was finished, she told her husband, she said, when that building's finished, I'm going. One morning, her and her husband walked in. The preacher preached. Down the aisle she came. She knelt on the steps. Never will forget, I sat down beside her. And I said, what can I do for you? And she told me the story, kneeling on those steps, that God had spoke to her twice before she ever knew this was a church, that if she'd come here, that she'd be healed. And she said, the doctors have told me there's nothing that they can do. But God said out there at that red light, right out there, if I'd come in this building, I'd be healed. I said, so be it. We laid our hands on her. And I'm telling you, in the fear of Almighty God, that God instantly healed her. I was teaching them Bible study. And after the end of every Bible study, I'd say, I think we ought to pray and praise him a moment. And I'd lift my hands at their kitchen table and I would praise God. One night I was teaching on the mighty God in Christ. He's a Cuban. He was sitting across the table. She was sitting across the table from me. And I was teaching about that mighty God in Christ.
the resurrection, and the life, and the great I am. Have you ever tried to preach about him as the creator, as Jehovah Jireh, as Jehovah Sidkenu, as Jehovah Shalom, as Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rohai? Have you ever tried to teach about he's El Shaddai? Oh, friend, you just can't teach it in a normal voice. There's something about it that when you start describing him, that he was in the beginning, amen, and that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Yes. Suddenly, you, you, you almost get to praising him while you are describing it. And this particular night, I had nothing to lose. And, I, and, and when it comes to one God, you're looking at a one God, holy roller, born again, apostolic, tongue-talking, born again believer. I went from Genesis to Revelations. I talked about him being the creator. I went to Colossians and talked about the only invisible wise God over and over and over and over. And I just got to pouring it out. And suddenly I saw that Cuban's eyes pop wide open. I saw her squirt tears out of her eyes. And all of a sudden they got the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I mean, it came as a revelation. And, and I was just spitting it out. Isaiah 9 and 6, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 43, 5, Isaiah 43, 10, 11, and 12, Isaiah 44, 1 through 10, and verse 11, and on and on and on, and I, was, and I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. I was anointed, and I was appraising it out. And when they got the revelation, all of a sudden, God came to that kitchen table. So help me, God. They owned a jewelry store. They wore nice clothes, lived in a nice home, and God knocked them out of their seat, and they landed on the carpet there in their kitchen floor and I look up and, and they were sitting on their behinds and, and they didn't know why they was in the floor and they began to talk in other tongues as the spirit of God gave the utterance what am I saying I'm saying prayers that prevail are those that come with a spirit of praise you've got to understand that praise is a form of intercessory prayer Amen. Amen. Oh, praise God. I never will forget for one solid year, I wrestled with them over holiness. Wrestled with them over the things of God. I never will forget the day they walked in my office and they said, okay, we surrender. Oh, they pulled it all off. They got rid of all that kind of junk. They got rid of all of the clothes they weren't supposed to wear. And I was so happy. I finally got them straightened out. And one night I walked in their home to teach Bible study. And lo and behold, they had sold their jewelry store. I was so glad they sold it. Oh, I was so thrilled that they was getting out of that store. But the following two, about three weeks later, what happened? The people that they sold the jewelry store to, they walked in the Bible study. And I want you to know she came to church on Sunday night a few weeks ago, and between the pews, she began to talk in tongues. I'm telling you, prayer that prevails is the prayers where the church learns how to worship God and learns how to praise God. I went to Bible study the next week, Brother Elder, and I just bent over the table and tears just flowed from my eyes. And somebody said, what's wrong? I said, oh, me and God was just having us a talk. I said, God, why? Why can't you give me an easy case? It took me a year to get these straightened out, and then you give me another set just like them. Only problem is she was Jewish jewelry dealer. God's good, you know that? 
I said, God's good. I said, God's good. Amen. While I'm on that subject, brother, there's nothing like old-fashioned holiness. There's nothing like doing what God wants you to do. There's nothing like dressing right and being right and spitting white and walking right. Amen. I was preaching New York camp meeting, and all I'd heard all of my life that them Yankee folks up there are letting down on the standards and, and that they're going to the dogs. But I'm here to report to Hutchinson, Kansas, that there's a move of God not just in Kansas. I watched New York camp meeting one hour or almost an hour and a half when nobody on the drums and nobody on the organ and nobody at the piano and the preacher stepped back from the pulpit while he was preaching. Everybody in the tabernacle was on their feet and it took over an hour and a half to get them to quit worshiping God so that the preacher could go on. There's a mighty move of God sweeping our country right now and there's preachers that are not backsliding and they're not letting down but to keep it on preaching the gospel. And brother, that's what I'm preaching tonight. Keep on preaching, brother. Amen. Look at Psalms. I got to quit. My goodness alive. If I'm going to let you out by dark, I got to hurry. Get your Bible out. Get your Bible out. We're going to read this together. Some of you looking cross-eyed at me tonight like you don't believe what I'm trying to preach to you. You need to get the revelation of Psalms 149. Amen. Notice what it says. Praise ye what? Let's say it together. Praise ye the Lord. Now that's more than just doing a, a little dance and a hop and skip. We need to understand. Every time our feet leaves the floor, we're praying. Every time we run the aisles, we're praying. Every time we leap for joy, we're praying. Every time we clap our hands, we're praying. You say, preacher, no, you're not. We're just worshiping. No, friend, you're wrong. I said, we're praying. When I dance in the Holy Ghost, I'm praying. When I sing, I'm praying. When I clap my hands, I'm praying. Sing unto the Lord. What? Amen. And sing his praise where? All right. Let Israel what? Rejoice. If I say rejoice. In him that made him. Let the children of Zion be? If I say it again. Joyful. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises. Unto him with the timbrel and the harp. Amen. When his sister was playing his organ, she's not just sitting on an organ stool, mashing white and black ivory keys. Uh-uh, honey. She's praying. Her fingers are praying. Every time her hand goes down on the organ, she's praying. Every time her foot wiggles to put the volume down, she's praying. I want you to know that that lady on that piano, she's not just playing to entertain. She's not trying to just make the sound service good. No, sir. When she's sitting there, she's praying. Oh, you say, but she's not opening her voice. She's got her mind on her playing. You got that exactly right. And the Bible says learn how to play skillfully. And every time she runs down that keyboard... You understand one thing, them fingers are praying. When them aisles are being run, them feet are praying. When you're clapping your hands, your hands are praying. When you're leaping for joy, your whole body's praying. Come on, let's read some more. You ain't, you ain't got with me yet. 
Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be what? In glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. And then verse 6 says, Let the high praises of God beware. And a two-edged sword where? The Bible said the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4 and I think verse 10 or 12. Amen. He talks about a two-edged sword in our hand. That's the word. And he talked about high praises of God being in our mouth. You know something, friend? When All through that chapter, it's praise, 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 sing, 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 praise, 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 praise. And then he changes and said, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. How do you get any higher than praise ye the Lord? How do you get any higher than glory to Jesus? i tell you what that's saying. It's saying that our praises are turning into prayer. It's saying that we're doing more than speaking with our lips and more than speaking with our tongue suddenly now it's coming from the inner being it's being prayed by the inner man it's being prayed by the spirit of God itself through the instrument of a human body my God, my God, when the Holy Ghost gave this revelation to me, I like to went through our ceiling. Amen. What am I saying? Look at the next verse and see what happens if you don't believe it's prayer. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What? To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. Have you ever noticed when the house of God gets to worshiping and all of a sudden we get out of the realm of the fleshly into the realm of the spirit that every sinner in that building will sit down on you. Why does he do that? Because suddenly our praises have turned into high praises. It's coming from the inner being of man and suddenly the, the, the spirit of God comes down and suddenly that spirit of vengeance and that spirit of punishment Read the book of Psalms chapter 1. It said the sinner shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. They've got to sit down because God has come in the midst of our praise. The Bible teaches us that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Oh, friend, it's time for the word to be preached. It's time to understand that when your pastor is laboring in the Holy Ghost and your praise and worship with him, I want to tell you, friend, you're singing the high praises of God praise God praise God I feel such an anointing of God every time I've taught or preached this there's been such an overflowing rain of the Holy Ghost the high praises of God execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people and then it says, it will bind their kings with chains. Notice, it did not say it would bind the king of kings. It said it would bind kings. There's only one king of kings. But there are regiments of demonic forces. They're regimented from kings to the princes of cities 
and princesses of villages. Amen. And the Bible said in Daniel, when Daniel prayed three full weeks, the angel came and said, I heard you from the first time you prayed. But the prince of Persia withstood me. And if that was the prince of Persia, he was the son of somebody because that's what a prince is. And the Bible said that the high praises of God will bind their kings with chains. Can you say amen? amen? And it will bind their nobles with fetters of iron. I'm telling you, when the man of God has got the two-edged sword in his hand and the high praises of God are in the voice of his people, I want to tell you that demons have to flee. I'm telling you that they will come out of people while you you're praising God and while you're preaching. I want to tell you that the prince of Hutchinson, Kansas has got to go down the street to some other church because he cannot stand in the congregation of the righteous. Wake up, Hutchinson. There's revival in your church. Wake up, Hutchinson. There's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this place. What does it do? It binds the kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron and to execute upon them the judgment written and it said this honor have all his saints and how does he finish it up again to let you know that praise is a form of prayer he says it again praise ye the Lord 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 Praise ye the Lord. If you have financial problems, praise ye the Lord. If you're having marital problems, praise ye the Lord. If you're having afflictions in your body, praise ye the Lord. I want us to stand. Hallelujah. 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 What am I saying? Before church, go to the prayer rooms. But when you come out of the prayer rooms, come out praising God. What am I saying? Come to prayer meeting every night. But when you come to the house of God, don't you leave until you praise Him. Until you praise Him. Until you get your mind on God. Until you forget to memorize songs. Until your heart can flow out the praises of God. My Lord and my God, oh, let's clap our hands to the Lord together.